Welcome to the Barfly Podcast Season 2. My name is Jeff Burkhart, Barfly columnist for the Marin IJ and author of the book 20 Years Behind Bars and its newly released sequel, 20 Years Behind Bars, Volume 2, Parole Denied. Today, my co-host is Kevin Blum, Community Director for the online review site, Yelp. Welcome, Kevin. So don't worry about tomorrow, take it for today, forget about the chat, we'll get hell to pay, have a drink on me. Hello, uh, and uh, welcome back to the Barfly Podcast. We are very, very delighted to have Joanne Weir here in the house, or virtual house, so to speak. Many of you know uh, Joanne is a James Beard award-winning author, international cooking teacher, renowned chef. She owns one of my favorite restaurants in Sausalito, Copita. So Joanne, thank you so much for joining us today. You are so welcome. Have I really done all that? Yeah, you you have. It sounds like a lot. (laughs) Uh, We are so glad to have you here. Uh, And obviously the past few months have been a very, it's been a whirlwind time. I guess first and foremost, we wanted to ask you, uh, how are you doing? How, how is your restaurant doing and surviving these past three, almost four months? I mean, yeah, it's hard. I mean, these are uncharted waters, right? It's difficult. I mean, it's, you know, it's just there's so much to read and to go through and to figure out. Luckily, we've been able to keep our management team, but we had to let all of our crew go, which was heartbreaking. And we've been able to bring people back little by little. It's just really tough. Have you been uh, open at all? We closed just for a short time, those first maybe two weeks or something. And then we started with food to go. And that was every evening from four to eight. And now we've opened it up more, especially now because we can eat out. There's, you know, eating outside, which is really great. I had Daniel, our chef, on yesterday. He was on an Instagram Live I did, and he, it was so great to talk to him and see him. You know, I haven't been over there much because I just, I just, I just can't. So they've done an incredible job. And the nice thing is people have been really responsive. So that's great. You have quite a bit of a, uh, I mean, you're you're pretty spread out in a lot of different venues. I mean, I, I mean, I ran into you in Rome, which was a very funny story uh, that, that we just, you know, a friend of mine said, I think that's Joanne Weir over there. And I looked over and I said, that's not possible. And of course it was. I, I think you were, you were doing a, a cooking thing in Morocco or something like that. Yeah, you know, I was in between, yeah, I was going from, I think I just left Morocco and I was on my way to Sicily, I think. And uh, yeah, it was funny. We ran into each other on um, Via Veneto, which is really, it's always great. You know, I mean, a lot of times it's people that just see my TV show, but it was really fun because, you know, I knew you and, you know, that was really, it was really nice. And it was fun. I mean, I thought it was, it, it was ironic too, also that the, you know, at first, my once I recognized you, I said, well, I, I'll go over and say something. And then I thought, well, I know people sometimes don't like to be interrupted. And then they sat us right next to each other, which was which was pretty funny. But, but that gives you a great perspective on what's happening around the world with this pandemic. And I, you know, I remember watching a lot of this, you know, on my, I, my daughter's an actress in L.A. and I was going to visit her when everything shut down. I mean, literally, I was on my drive down the grapevine when everything closed down. And I was shocked, but I had remembered watching this stuff happening in Italy and, and, and Spain and thinking, is that going to happen here? So with your international perspective, where where do you think we are in this whole thing? 
That is such a good question because right now that is what's really affecting me. The restaurant, yes, we will, you know, we'll continue to have the restaurant and it's really established and, you know, we will do it little by little and we'll open up and things will be good. But for me, I had five tours this year, three of which I had in May and two more in October. These are the week-long culinary tours that I do in countries that surround the Mediterranean. So I had them in Sicily and in Rioja in Spain, the Amalfi Coast. It's heartbreaking for me to have to cancel them and move them to next year. And so I had to juggle 85 people moving them to next year if they would do that. And some were like, oh, I never want to go. To, you know, I'm never I'm not getting on another plane. I won't be going to Europe until there's a vaccine. Some people had anger. Some people were really nice about it. Luckily, probably 80% of the people will travel with me in the spring, but it's still up in the air. How do I know what it will be like in you know May of 2021? So I can't believe I'm talking now about 2021 and 2022 for my trip. Those are the things that I love to do the most. I mean, yes, I love the restaurant, but you know, I really love, I'm a teacher and I'm a chef and I, I really love that. And Mediterranean is really the food that I written so many books about. Sorry, that was a long answer, but... No, it was a good answer. But I mean, speaking of you being uh, obviously, first and foremost, a teacher, I've noticed, uh, and I'm sure you have as well, since you also hosted one yesterday, there are more cooking shows online now, whether it's on Instagram Live, Facebook Live, Zoom. How have you, have you noticed, uh, have these programs evolved at all? Uh, have you seen a renewed interest in people learning how to become home chefs? Yeah, you know, it's, it's pretty... Extraordinary. Yeah, people are cooking at home, which is great, and asking a lot of questions. And people, I, I just had today, I got an email from someone through my website, and she said, I'm Italian and Jewish. So, of course, in my life, I love food. And she said, I, Because of you, I made pasta for the first time, which was pretty amazing to me. I was so happy to see that or to hear that. But, and, and doing those, I find. On some of the ones that I do, there are 2,000, 3,000 views. So it's pretty extraordinary. Cooking and food in general, I mean, the whole hospitality experience is such a cathartic sort of thing where people, you know, they, they, they bond together, they, they experience things together. It's, it's, it's a really, truly unique thing. That's one thing that, you know, I mean, cooking at home, having family gatherings, all that sort of stuff definitely is, is part, part of the integral part of our lives but it brings people together. And, and I keep saying to people that, you know, the restaurant business might change because of some of this. We don't, like you said, we won't know. I mean, next spring, we still might be dealing with some of this. The restaurant business will survive and eating definitely will survive. Oh yeah, for sure. But you know, the one thing that I wanted to say about doing Instagram live and Facebook live is that for me, for example, I'm, I'm a pretty gregarious, outgoing, talkative person. And I just thrive on interaction. And the thing that's been so great for me on both of those is the engagement that I've had with people, you know, asking questions. And yes, I've done television for 20 years and been on PBS nationally. And it's great, but I don't get the same. This is, this is interesting. I don't get the same engagement and don't really get to speak to people unless they write to me. You know, they might write an email, whereas those people on Instagram Live and Facebook Live, are really communicating. They are asking questions. They are saying, oh, I love your show. Oh, you're my favorite. I mean, things that, you know, I have no clue that people feel that way. So for me, it's been very touching. The very first time I did it, honestly, I was close to tears by the end. 
there's that immediacy that's involved in that, that that's that's very different than, you know, I mean, even even writing a, a book or a, a newspaper column, it's a very solitary pursuit. And so then you send it out and you don't hear anything. But I had, I've experienced a little bit of what you're talking about, but it's nice to hear that people are engaging in that. And also, I mean, there, there becomes a lot of chatter with a lot of people weighing into this stuff, but the people who still do a good job still stand out, I think. And I, I find that's one of the things about the restaurant industry right now is you're seeing a lot of very creative ideas, which you might not have seen a year ago. That's really true. One of the things that we've been doing at Coquita, which has been really fun, is we have something called the SIP program. So S-I-P, shelter in place. And you can get a gallon of our, because we've won a lot of times for the best margarita in the Bay Area. So we thought, how can we get that to people? So you can get a gallon of our mix, which is freshly squeezed lime juice, agave and agave nectar, agave ready syrup, and then also a bottle of Herdera Blanco tequila for $75. And it will make 15 margaritas. So that's about, that would cost about what? I think it's $175 and you can get it for $75. People have been loving that because we had to also serve food with it. We, you get salsa and chips too. So <laughs> Anyway, that's how we got around it. But anyway, people are loving it. And think about it. I mean, it's fun to have that in your refrigerator. And for a few days, you know, you've got margaritas. They're good, right? That's the that's the key part. I mean, it's amazing to me how many uh, uh, people are, have reached out to me to ask how to make simple drinks. And you realize right. people are not used to making drinks at home like that. And they need a little primer or a little kick in the pants or something easier like that. Because if you're going to make... 15 margaritas for 15 of your friends, that's all you're going to be doing. So it really right. behooves you to order them and not have to deal with that aspect of it. That's so true. It really is. And you know, I did a margarita on, on one of the lives that I did, and I could not believe how many people got excited about a margarita that, you know, we just take for granted. But you know, a good margarita is a good margarita. It's been fun. It's really been fun, as I said. But the other side is, you know, like, okay, how long, you know, how long are we going to do this? And I think there's something about this uncertainty that, you know, yeah. I, you know, the other thing I think is interesting that um, I want to say to both of you is that I think there is food to go and there's food to go. And I think you probably know what I mean. I mean, some restaurants, it's exceptional. And then sometimes you get it and it's like, whoa, I, I don't think I would eat there again. So, right. I mean, though you want to support everyone, it, it, you still have to do, you still have to turn out a great product. That's the thing that we've really tried to strive for. I was actually having this conversation with someone just the other day because they had ordered a, a, a carpaccio dish to go. And so essentially it came as just a lump of raw, raw it was raw fish. And it was very unappealing because it's not really designed to be in a box that's sent to your house, right? It's presentation. And I've been thinking a lot about, you know, fancy cocktails and that sort of thing and, and ultra fine dining and wondering what will be the ramifications of that. I mean, there's a lot of chatter that the, the white tablecloth type restaurant is something that was going away already, which I don't necessarily agree with. But I would be curious to see your take on that. What, what do you think that the new dining experience is going to be like? Do you think we're just going to continue where we stopped or you think it's going to be different? I had been looking at that too. I have said for a while, the white tablecloth restaurants, the ones that are formal, the ones that are bigger, you know, these huge flashy restaurants. I mean, I haven't even seen many of those open in a long time, right? I do think it's going to be the more neighborhood restaurants, but can they survive this question? You know, those are the ones that might not be able to, they might not have the dollars behind them. Will they survive? I, I hope 
so. I truly hope so. Jeff and I have talked about it uh, uh, often uh, as of late. It's, this could be economic uh, Darwinism, you know, like the restaurants that are uh, owned by the, the biz owners. I mean, like that don't have to pay rent to landlords because they actually own the building. They'll probably be the ones who survive, whereas the other ones, it might be a tricky, uh, slippery slope. Yeah, for sure. The ones that that are are, are more leveraged. I mean, and, and again, John, I agree with you. There, you don't see a lot of that older style, large, you know, mirrored type of building opening anymore. And, and I think those will be the first to go. And it's a shame. How can you fill those seats? I can't even imagine anymore how you fill those seats. And you know, opening Copita, when we said we wanted to do another one or do a few of them. We always said we wanted them to be small. There's something about the energy of a small restaurant. I think, you know, it's, I don't know. I love that. So, and maybe it's the tequila that's speaking. But, <laughs> um, and that's why they're lively. Don't worry about tomorrow. Take it for today. Please join us next time. We welcome back David Landis of the Gay Gourmet to talk coronavirus, columns, and the restaurant business in general. My name is Jeff Burkhart. Thanks for listening. Drink on me.